And can I invite you to turn to Ruth chapter 3? That's on page 223 from uh, the church Bibles that you received as you came in. As you're reaching that in your Bibles, why don't I pray for God's help? Dear Heavenly Father, please help us as we turn to your word to to be swept up in the big picture of your redeeming love for your people. As we consider this ancient story, help us to respond rightly to our Redeemer, the Lord Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. Before we read, let me tell you where we've got up to in Ruth so far. For the last couple of weeks, we have been studying the book of Ruth, a beautiful 3,000-year-old short story set roughly 1,200 years before the birth of Jesus. And the story is set in a really dark time in the history of Israel, in the time of the judges. In this period of time, God's people did some of the the worst things recorded in the Bible, some of the worst things you can imagine. And it's as that wider context looms large in the background, we zoom in to meet one family from Bethlehem. In chapter 1, we met Naomi. Her and her family moved from Bethlehem to a place called Moab following a famine in the land. We learned that this was a a bad move as they ran away from God and his promises. Naomi's story is a, a tragic one because whilst in Moab, one after another, she loses her husband and both her sons. She then decides to return back to her homeland, albeit embittered and blaming God for her circumstances. Naomi doesn't return alone, though. Ruth, one of her daughters-in-law, returns with her. And the question that was on our minds as chapter 1 closed was, what or whom will these women find when they return to the promised land? What sort of God will God prove to be? And enter Boaz. Last week, Boaz gave us hope for Ruth and Naomi. What a guy. He's a a godly and worthy man. And that really matters when you remember the moral standards of Israel at the time. And throughout chapter 2 last week, we were asking ourselves, what are the chances that at this time you would come across a worthy and godly man? What are the chances that he's kind and is keen to supply two poverty-stricken widows, one of them a Moabite immigrant, with an abundance of food, what are the chances that this guy turns out to be exactly what they both need? Because he's a, a redeemer, a close relative of Naomi, who legally could and was supposed to continue the family line of Naomi's dead husband, and in doing so, giving them access to a safe and provided for future. As it turns out, God is incredibly kind. And Boaz is all these things. Boaz is a a picture of Jesus, a redeemer who can do for us what we cannot do for ourselves, and whose godly character ought to be 
imitated as it shines brightly in a dark landscape. That said, there's a wee problem, or at least a problem seems to be arising. Can you just glance at the last verse of chapter 2 with me? Uh, 2 verse 23 says, So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvests. And she lived with her mother-in-law. It's, a, it's an easy detail to miss, but, but time is passing. Naomi and Ruth arrived back in Bethlehem at the beginning of the harvest season, but now it's the end of the harvest. A couple of months have passed, and nothing has changed. The, the potential of redemption has remained just that, potential. Ruth didn't have a shiny ring. She wasn't engaged to Boaz. Both their long-term futures were up in the air. Uh, Perhaps most worryingly, in the immediate future, the source of their food was about to be no more. Naomi and Ruth had survived thus far on the kindness of Boaz, but it's not a lasting solution. Without a redeemer, it won't be long before Naomi and Ruth are back to being hungry, and penniless, and vulnerable, and unsafe. And so we're left asking, what now? This is where we find ourselves at the beginning of chapter 3. So let's read. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative, with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on your cloak and go down the threshing floor, but do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, All that you say I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, Who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And he said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, in that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask. For all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight and in the morning, if he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning." So she lay at his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, Let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. 
And he said, bring the garment you are wearing and hold it out. So she held it and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. Then she went into the city. And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, how did you fare, my daughter? Then she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, these six measures of barley he gave to me. For he said to me, you must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. She replied, wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out. For the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. I wonder, as we read, if you notice that the, the focus of the story has shifted to Ruth. If chapter 2 focused on, on Boaz and his character and his status as redeemer, chapter 3 is about Ruth and her actions and initiative to have Boaz as her redeemer. Ruth's approach to Boaz provides a picture of our approach to Christ and how we respond to our Redeemer. So as we go through the story, we'll pause to reflect and apply. Um, The story takes place mainly on the the threshing floor, but it's made up of of three scenes, and that's how we're going to break up the passage. Firstly, Naomi's bold plan, then at the threshing floor itself, and finally the, the debrief. But let's firstly turn to to Naomi's bold plan. What do you make of Naomi's plan in verses 1 to 5? She's acutely aware of her and Ruth's problem. And so she springs into action and devises a bold plan. And the plan appears to be, Ruth, go and make yourself as attractive as possible and go in the dead of night under complete cover of darkness to a place full of off-duty working men who have spent the evening drinking on your own to the threshing floor to see Boaz. To, to make things even more uh, confusing, this section and the entire passage is, is filled with very suggestive language, ambiguous language, uh, and sexual euphemisms. Uh, For example, the way verse 3 describes Ruth's beauty routine is reminiscent of language used of a prostitute who would make herself desirable for the men at the threshing floor. You, You see, the threshing floor wasn't just the place where the barley was turned into the lovely grain you could use at home. It was a place notorious for being frequented by prostitutes. And similarly, three times in verse 4 and eight times in the whole passage, the language of lying down is used. Uh, It sounds unwise, doesn't it? Precisely what a responsible parent tells their teenager not to do with their boyfriend or girlfriend. And finally, the plan involves what verse 4 describes as uncovering of Boaz's feet. The expression is ambiguous. It may mean uncover his legs with all the uncertainty that suggests about how much of him is uncovered. So, is it a good plan? The the potential for personal and and moral disaster is inescapable. 
Is Ruth dressed to seduce or something else? Is Ruth going to lie with Boaz or lie next to him? Is Ruth uncovering his feet in a way that is innocent and righteous and simply culturally and chronologically so far removed from us that we don't know exactly what it means? Or is it indicative of nakedness and by implication sexually suggestive? We'll answer these questions more fully in the second point, but for now let's focus on on one big thing. And I want to be absolutely clear on this. Naomi isn't pimping Ruth out. Yes, the narrator is deliberately building tension and causing concern with his language, but ultimately Ruth and Naomi know that Boaz has an obligation uh, as a legal redeemer to save this family from their sorry situation. And they are taking the initiative. What Naomi is saying to Ruth is, go get dressed and show Boaz that you're no longer mourning your dead husband, but you're ready to marry. You you see, later on in the Bible, Ruth's great-grandson would do something identical to what Ruth does here. King David, his son, died, and after a period of time and of mourning, we read read that David um, washed himself. He applied perfume, and he put on his cloak to show people that he was no longer mourning, but that he was ready to get on with life. And that's exactly the same thing that Ruth does here. Same things, same order, same words. She's no longer mourning, but she's ready to marry. Naomi and Ruth act very deliberately and boldly in this section. It's a a risky plan. And this is what faith means to them. It's a, a deliberate reaching out. These women know that Boaz is a a legal redeemer. They know what he's like, how he's cared for them, and so they can trust him. And so their faith in him takes action. The redeemer is there, so they must go to him. What does that look like for us today? What does it look like for us when our eyes are opened to see our Redeemer Jesus, when we see his kindness and generosity to us, how do we respond? Jesus says in in Matthew 11, come to me all who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. Jesus, our Redeemer, says, come to me And so our right response to Jesus is to go to him. What does it mean to to come to Jesus? Well, it means turning from your sin and turning towards him, trusting in him, listening to his words, obeying them, turning to him in prayer, speaking to him. Some of us here perhaps know about Jesus, 
but have never come to him, never reached out in faith to him. And if we're like that, it's a bit like reading Ruth 1 and 2 and stopping there. Jesus is more wonderful than Boaz and so loving and generous that he died for sinners on the cross. He offers eternal rest. It's not enough to know about Jesus. Faith takes action. It goes to the Redeemer. It's not passive. Let's continue with the story at the threshing floor in our second point and hopefully clarify some things. It's one thing to say something, but another to do it. I might say my sermon will be ready by Wednesday and there will be helpful points that you will get in your service sheet, but they're not there. Sometimes things that you say don't happen. Ruth could have listened to Naomi's bold plan, but done nothing about it. She, she could have seen the, the risk involved, the, the genuine potential for sexual assault and physical harm. She could have been upset by the connotations of her potential actions and concluded, no, I won't be doing that. And I think we would have understood Ruth had she said that. However, though risky, she, she does it. She walks in the darkness alone in the midst of all those men and finds Boaz and lies down next to him. Her, her faith in Boaz, her confidence that her Redeemer will continue to be kind uh, is evidenced in her actions. Her, her faith is costly, it's risky, it's very vulnerable, it's fully committed. But she knows what Boaz is like. She's able to be so vulnerable because she knows Boaz, she knows she can trust him. It might be a surprise for us then to therefore read in verse 7 and what seems to be a, a blemish on Boaz's otherwise glittering record that Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was, was merry. Is this good or bad? The, the expression is used a, a number of times in the Old Testament to describe drunkenness. Uh, however, the, the very same expression is also used in, in a positive way. Many of us have been studying Ecclesiastes and life groups on Wednesdays, and we can turn to the wisdom of the teacher, and we hear this in Ecclesiastes 9. Go eat your bread with joy and drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already approved what you do. Drinking with a, a merry heart is commended as the action of a, a wise and righteous person, and everything we have recorded for us of Boaz suggests that he is nothing but honorable and full of integrity and godly. I think he's relaxed, he's cheerful, and no doubt sleepy after a hard working evening, a good meal and a drink or two. But, but what about Ruth's actions? Are they blameless? Or is this another example in the Bible of a Moabite 
doing Moabite things. From the outset, I'm persuaded that Ruth is is held up, much like Boaz was in chapter 2, as honorable and godly and as a worthy person. Though things can have more than one meaning, it becomes clear, uh, as we read, that nothing improper happens. It goes completely against the narrator's character development to, to conclude that Ruth and even Boaz are acting wrongly. I'm growing in my conviction that the narrator wants us to feel the tension of this section, that the clues could be pointing exactly where you might expect them to at a time when everyone did what was right in their own eyes. I try to picture the people for whom this was originally written to reading this and them getting all the the Hebrew euphemisms and immediately noticing how honestly suspect it all sounds. But then, out of the very darkness of this universe and the middle of the night itself, Ruth's godliness shines all the more brightly. Did you, did you notice how Boaz reacts to the woman lying next to him? In verse 9, he asks, who are you? And this is the moment we find out exactly who this Moabite woman is. Look how she responds. She doesn't just, she doesn't just give her name, but elaborates on who exactly she thinks herself to be. I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. Ruth isn't a a Moabite doing what Moabites do. She is a, a servant of a redeemer. She's not here to seduce or lead astray. She's here to serve. Spread your wings. Does that language sound familiar? Last week in chapter 2, verse 12, we heard Boaz speaking to Ruth and saying, the Lord repay you for what you have done and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Ruth, the foreigner, has come under the wings of God and found refuge in him. And now she says to Boaz, Can I come under your wings? May you be the answer to the prayer you said in chapter 2. To to come under someone's wings was also a euphemism for marriage. Ruth was, in effect, putting her entire lot in with Boaz. She's all in. She's fully committed As someone who has proposed, it's a very vulnerable thing to do. And Ruth asks Boaz, will you marry me? And so how does Boaz respond? He says in verse 10, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first in that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. Why does Boaz respond like this? Boaz could have been offended by the proposal and the anti-conventional approach. 
a young, foreign, impoverished woman requesting marriage from the older, native, wealthy man. He he doesn't see it as an insult, but rather as an act of kindness. Boaz, the godly guy who prefigures Jesus in our story, describes Ruth's actions as kindness. And you might remember that's such a a key word in this book. It speaks of covenant loving kindness, God's never stopping love for his people. And what is this kindness that Boaz recognizes? I used to think that Ruth was being kind because she was asking the older gentleman to marry her when she could have accepted the marriage proposals uh, from younger men in, in Bethlehem. I don't think that's what's being said, but rather that Boaz is referring once more to Ruth's loving kindness to Naomi. Boaz had been told all about what Ruth had done for her mother-in-law since the death of her husband, how she left her homeland and came to live with a people she didn't know. The, The greater kindness that Boaz commends is Ruth's kindness to Naomi and being willing to raise up for her an heir to Elimelech, Naomi's dead husband. Ruth doesn't go for a younger man because she somehow prefers Boaz in some romantic way, or there's no indication that Ruth fancies Boaz, but rather to to keep herself available to raise up an heir for Naomi. Ruth is almost like a surrogate for Naomi, one commentator said. Ruth demonstrates how committed she is to loving Naomi by acting on her promise of covenant loyalty back from chapter 1 and so asking Boaz to marry her. It's no surprise that in verse 11 we get a little bit more evidence that Ruth is nothing but godly and above reproach. And now, my daughter, do not fear I will do all that you ask, for all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. If you were to ask one of the inhabitants of Bethlehem at the time, who is Ruth? Some might still refer to her as the Moabite, but they'd all be in agreement that here is a worthy woman, one known for her kindness. Ruth, in this risky and vulnerable situation, alone in the dark with this man, this Redeemer, has reached out in bold and daring faith. She's vulnerable before Boaz, asking him to marry her and redeem them both. She's not afraid of how Boaz is going to respond. She's open and honest because she knows him. And so Boaz responds in verse 10, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You see, faith that is vulnerable and committed, that reaches out to the Lord Jesus, he will never mock it. He will not turn it away. This is the faith that he honors 
He honors such faith because he has said that he will. One of the clearest expressions of the gospel is found in John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he sent his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Or what if we were to, to rephrase that slightly in the language of Ruth? For God so loved the world that he sent our Redeemer, that whoever reaches out to him in faith should not perish, but have eternal rest. Ruth's faith, similarly, is grounded in God's promises. She's exercising faith in her Redeemer. She's not trying to twist Boaz's arm to do something. Instead, it's as if she's saying, look, Boaz, this is what God's word says. Will you do what is in accordance with God's word? Because you are our legal redeemer. This this scene isn't so much sexually charged now, is it? Rather, it's quite tender. Here's a woman who loves God and his word, and a man who loves God and his word, and Ruth is asking Boaz to be faithful to God's word in a time when so few were. Ruth is is trusting in the character of the Redeemer and in God's promises. Faith trusts in God's word. She appeals to it, and the Redeemer agrees with no hesitation. I was challenged to think about my my prayer life as I consider this aspect of Ruth's faith. When I'm speaking to my Redeemer in prayer, how much do I reflect on and consequently ask for that which he's promised to do? I ask knowing he's powerful to do anything, but do I care for what he's promised to do and and submit to that over and above anything? I don't know what your prayers are at the moment, maybe for a good night's sleep, um, for healing, for a a romantic relationship, or or for genuine comfort at a time of trying— We can ask these things, and God is able to do them. But if we don't get them, that does not mean that we lack faith. No. God hasn't promised to give us all these things. However, he's promised something way, way better. God has promised that one day we will be given true rest, and he will give us perfect comfort and healing, and that we will be with him on the day when he returns if we've trusted in him for our salvation. Faith is grounded in God's promises, and they are far greater than anything we could ask for or imagine. That said, we have to wait for the the final fulfillment of those promises. And that leads to our our final scene, the debrief, in verses 16 to 18. According to her Redeemer, 
We have seen Ruth is his daughter. That's how he addresses her. For whom redemption is secured, but rest remains in the future. Let me say that one more time. According to her Redeemer, Ruth is his daughter for whom redemption is secured, but rest remains in the future. We have read that according to Boaz, Ruth isn't a Moabite, not an outsider at all, not just a a servant, not just a, a woman with a good reputation. She is part of the family, a daughter, and a daughter for whom redemption is secured. I think we're meant to be nervous at the announcement of another Redeemer in verses 12 and 13, but, but while Boaz once again shows his worthiness and godliness by not trying to jump the queue, he, he also assures Ruth that her redemption is absolutely secure. By the time the morning comes, Ruth will be redeemed. What kindness. Again, what a guy. Naomi responds to the debrief in in verse 18, right at the end of our passage. Wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out. For the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. Redemption is secure, but Ruth must wait to enter his rest. And isn't that exactly where we find ourselves today? If you're a Christian, you've been adopted into the family of the Redeemer. Our redemption secured on the cross and in his resurrection, our emptiness filled with all the overflowing blessings of God, but not quite yet complete. Boaz said to Ruth, there is a a redeemer nearer than I. Those words add a, a layer of new drama to the story, but they are also wonderfully true for us. We have a redeemer nearer than Boaz, We have a Redeemer more worthy than even Boaz, who who if we reach out to in faith, asking that he do what he has already promised to do, then he promises us, he guarantees us that one day, not too far away, we will enter into his rest. Ruth is a a beautiful picture of what faith looks like in response to our Redeemer, the Lord Jesus. So let's pray and ask for his help to respond as she did, confident in him. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for our Redeemer, the Lord Jesus, in whom we have overflowing blessings, in whom our redemption is secure. 
Father, we pray that you would help us to respond rightly to Jesus's generosity and kindness and steadfast love. Help us to be a bit like Ruth in the story, whose faith reached out boldly, vulnerably, in a way that would have put many of the people of the day to shame. Her godliness, a bright light in a dark background. Please help us, Lord, to reach out in faith to the only one who can redeem us and save us from our greatest need. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.